0: Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by...
1: City Hall reporter Joshua Fector. Business columnist and editor Greg
0: Jefferson.
2: Investigative reporter Brian Chasnov.
0: And uh, it's our first podcast uh, in a couple of weeks. We took a a break for Thanksgiving week. And uh, now that we've had a little time to kind of get over the November election, it's it's a little early, but I think it's... uh, we're we're on the verge of starting to, to have some um, news on the city council races. I think we're going to start having some people announcing um, over the next few weeks. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what, what we can expect. Um, we've got two city council uh, members who are term limited out, uh, Rebecca Villagran in district three and Shirley Gonzalez in district five. Um, my my sense is that we're going to have, a. I don't know about district three, but in district five, we're probably going to have, tremendous number of candidates there I mean I'm hearing people talking about maybe like 10 candidates running there um, but uh, the, you know the rest of the the rest of the uh, other council members including mayor Ron Nuremberg are can, you know are able to run again. Uh, Josh, I wanted to get a chance to talk to you a little bit about what what you're hearing at this point I mean there's still a lot that we don't know but what are, what are you hearing any surprises out there that people should look for?
3: Well, I, I think what we're um you know so far, what we're seeing in terms of the the folks who have filed, I mean, we're starting to see some some interesting names pop up, a lot of interest in uh, Council District Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a number of folks have already filed uh, to to challenge uh, Jada Andrew Sullivan. Uh, among them, Farrell Clark, the Black Lives Matter activist. He was involved right. in protests over the over the summer. Uh, so I expect that to be a fairly interesting race. Uh, another interesting note there is uh, uh, a former staffer of Jada Andrew Sullivan, Jalen Mckee Rodriguez, has also filed uh, to to run against her. He's he's a bit of a younger guy. Um, then, then in uh, Council District One, um, the uh, local environmental activist, former county commissioner candidate Mario Bravo, uh, has has filed to run against uh, District One uh, Councilman uh, Roberto Trevino. Uh, so, I expect that to be an interesting race. Um, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see, uh, you know, what goes on. Obviously, in the mayor's race, uh, we're going to see. Um you know whether or not um you you see a lot of folks kind of line up to challenge him uh well we're still waiting to see whether greg Brockhaus is is going to uh you know throw his hat into the ring for a rematch uh you know and I, and I think you know depending on you know you know basically this is going to be a referendum on how you know both the mayor and the city council have have performed uh during the pandemic and, and, uh, and, you know, the ensuing economic crisis. So I expect it to be sort of a referendum on, on that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned District 1 or, and uh, Roberto Trevino, uh, the, the challenge that he uh, could be facing. And I so I wanted to ask, because this is a rumor that's been floating around for a while, and I, I don't know where, where things stand. I, I think a lot of people are unsure about this, but there's been a rumor for a while that Roberto Trevino was was eyeing a mayoral uh, run. He has had some pretty public conflicts with with Mayor Nuremberg uh, in 2019 over, over bike lanes, for example. Um, uh, he out, well, was an opponent of um the uh, workforce development uh, initiative that was right. you know, that was really, really has been a, was the big focus of, of Mayor Nuremberg Nuremberg uh, over the past few months um any any sense about where he's where he's leaning on that or what what his his plans are
3: so i i feel like this has gone back and forth um within This this past term, you know, he's he's thinking about it. He's not thinking about it. People have asked him. People have not asked him. It's like it's kind of all over the place. I do think it would be interesting for for him to run and basically on the, uh, you know, the anti workforce platform, uh, basically, uh, given that that uh, garnered more than three quarters of the vote, uh, I think that would be. That would be something he would have to to maybe reckon with uh to some degree, something that was sort of overwhelmingly uh, popular and and you know sort of bore the mayor's face uh, on it. Yeah. um but yeah. the other the other thing that that's uh, you keep in mind here, uh, he's got another term. um you yeah, know, at some point, you know, you know he's he's been on there since since 2015, you know, it was, it was thought for a second that he was term limited out. Uh, That might've actually been, been my fault uh, that some people might've thought that. He got got an appointment Uh, to
0: replace Diego Bernal. So he kind of came. Yeah. And there was a,
3: yeah. And so there was enough time in the term. So he's actually got another council term. So like, does he, does he, you know, does he go now? Does he, does he wait until he's, he's term limited out? I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um, Everyone around Greg Brockhouse that I've, Talked to recently is you know convinced that he Greg Brockhouse will run again, and uh, Greg, I was curious about your thoughts because you know as we've talked about on the podcast, I mean a couple of things that Greg Brockhouse talked about in the the final uh, weeks leading up to the election were his opposition, vehement opposition to um, workforce development and, and probably even more so the the uh, the via public transit initiative and they both passed, you know, by overwhelming <laughs> margins. Passed, really. So, well, I mean, what is so does that, does that, does that affect him? The Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. What's your sense of it?
1: I'm, yeah. I mean, it seems like, uh, he doesn't really have much, you know, as far as those two initiatives, he really doesn't have much, uh, room to maneuver. in. I mean, they, they both did really well at the polls on November 3rd. Uh, you know, a lot of it is probably if he runs, um, you know, I would, ex- I would expect him to focus on kind of the his his tried and true themes with Ron Nirenberg. Kind of a, a overall lack of leadership, unwillingness to work with council members. I mean, I think that's less true now than it was two years ago. Yeah. But I've you know I've I've heard you know in the last couple of months, uh, you know, he's kind of sounded those those two themes. Uh, so, you know, if he runs, I would expect more of that. It's going to be hard to campaign against, you know, the, the workforce development program. Uh, you know, it's for one thing, it's not really going to get started until next fall. So I'm not sure, you know, it's not a hard target for him. That's yeah, I'm right. curious. And again, it did so well at the polls, you know, I mean, it was yeah. what 70, more than 75%. It was like 76% right. of the vote. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just not sure what his argument is going to be. Have I, you guys,
2: Brian, I was, I was going to ask y'all if, if you've heard uh rising frustration with, with Nuremberg in the face of these uh, you know, these curfews and, and so forth, because Um, I've kind of, I just kind of have this ambient sense that, that that's, uh, that, you know, people are getting frustrated and they're taking it out on, on so-called authorities who, you know, declare that they can't do this and that, you know, because people are so sick of, of COVID at this point.
0: Yeah. I I think that that's an interesting point because, you know, the, the, I mean, the things that, 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 uh, Brockhouse ran on two years ago, I mean, the, um, you know, stuff like Chick-fil-A and not, uh, you know. And San Antonio, not vying for the Republican national convention. I mean, the the political statute of limitations on that has pretty much run out, but I think there, you know, there may be a lane for him to sort of talk about, um, you know, local government being too restrictive and infringing on people's liberties. I don't know that that's going to, that's going to win you an election in in a city that's really pretty, pretty blue politically. I mean, we saw, you know, uh, Joe Biden won Bear County with almost by almost twenty percent, uh, just last month or a few weeks ago. So um, I don't know that's gonna, that's a formula for winning, but it might it might be a lane that he could run in
1: yeah, you know there's also we haven't mentioned this yet, but I mean, you know there there could be kind of an overlying theme on in the mayor's race and also in the council races. And that is if this group of environmental activists uh, succeed in getting the recall CPS initiative on the ballot in May. So basically what that would do mm-hmm. is hand control of you know the governance of CPS energy. From their board of trustees, which is the self-perpetuating board to city council, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it, and I think uh, you know, you can expect Nuremberg to to fight that. So, I mean, the question is, does you know, is that an opening for Brockhaus to come? Like, would he be willing to, mm-hmm. you know, to to fight that one uh, to yeah. to side yeah. with the environmentalists? Uh, and I definitely think that's you know that that may be part of the motivation for Mario Bravo running in District One. Just you know, it, apart from his own political ambitions, I'm sure he wants to talk about you know recall CPS and and that initiative. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Brian, you talked uh, about um, you know the the COVID restrictions, and I want to, to talk a little bit about um, what what we've just seen recently. I mean, uh, as with uh, many other. Communities across the country, we've, the, the the infection rates have, have really spiked recently. Uh, I think over the past week, we've averaged nearly like 800 new reported cases a day. We're, we're above 80,000 80, in the San Antonio area since March. And uh, last week, uh, just before Thanksgiving, Mayor Nuremberg and County Judge Nelson Wolf uh, initiated a curfew that basically ran from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, over what josh it was about four days is that right from like right yeah from
3: from from, yeah thursday to uh to sunday basically this morning um and and, you know over that time they only um according to you know the the most recent uh city records that were released at about 9 a.m so right in time for this podcast um the only citation that they had issued uh over the weekend uh was only maybe tangentially related to the curfew, uh, so they they didn't really cite anybody uh, for for violating the curfew or any businesses for for the for violating the curfew.
0: You did have protests uh, in front of the Alamo. You had some some uh, uh, local activists. You had some, some I think some business. Leaders complaining. I think there was someone who had a, a sports bar who was upset because Saturday night you had the the Mike Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight, and um, ordinarily it might be a situation where you'd have you know you'd have some good business on that night, and uh, with a 10 p.m. curfew, that that didn't happen. So, um, you know, I, I guess what, what I'm what I'm wondering about, and we talked about a little about it a few minutes ago, is just you know what kind of uh, you know pushback the mayor is going to get on this and, and whether just people are, are at a point where they're, uh, you know, where they're just kind of fed up with these restrictions in general.
3: Well, I think he's, he's certainly testing their patience. Um, you had, you know, a number of sort of restaurant owners take to, take to Twitter on, on Wednesday, uh, you know, when, when this was announced, um, you know, the the most notable one for me was you know Chad Carry, uh, you know, tweeting from the the Monterey account, basically, like, you know, we'll do this. but like could you could you like give us more notice than than yeah. this? Yeah. And, and I think that there's there's probably um that's that's probably like if if that's that maybe not be the moderate. Uh, tone on it, but I mean, like you can you can sense from from sort of that and, and you know, the folks who are out over the weekend protesting um, that there is sort of like this this mounting frustration uh, with with these kind of restrictions and, you know. A lot of this on, on the backs of folks who have, 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 been, have already sort of been hit hardest, sure. uh, by, by the pandemic, you know, the, the restaurant industry, uh, the, um, the bars, you know, they've, they've had to, you know, you know, this year deal with shutdown, then reopening, then restrictions again, then reopening, uh, and at the same time also having to abide by sort of guidelines, at the local level and the state mm-hmm. level, yep. uh,
0: and it's happening at a time when there's, you know, with the uh, the possibility of another round of COVID relief in the federal government has been held up uh, in Congress. And so, you know, that that is also, you know, a, a, has been a concern. Um, you you uh, wrote about the fact that, that part of what the city is doing, and I guess this is really about the only other thing they can do at this point, is that they've uh, stepped up enforcement when it comes to the restrictions they have as a way of trying to make sure that people are but socially distancing and 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 complying with things. Uh, what 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 steps have they taken to make sure that that uh, you know these things are being enforced?
3: well, they they added uh, the code enforcement uh, division that's sort of handling this, has added something like, I want to say it's ten officers to to dealing with this. That's basically, uh, what the mayor said last week was that this was going to be able to double the the number of you know proactive inspections that they do on on businesses ones that that aren't you know generated by people calling and complaining and and i and I noticed a number of those in the uh, in in sort of the data that was released today uh in terms of the the number of inspections that they're doing so so they're they're stepping that up uh they also um they also shut down the strip club on the the northeast side, the XDC Cabaret. Yeah, uh, that that is uh, that was kind of flagrantly violating uh, the 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 emergency orders. Uh, like six they, violations only, or something. Like that, yeah. yeah, they had six violations, but but they've only taken that measure, uh, you know, a handful of times. There are only uh, two other times that they've done that to a business where they've just you know said you're you're violating this way too often and you don't appear to be listening to us so we're just going to so we're just going to shut you down uh but but other than that you know and and you know i suppose the curfew they they really don't have any other tools in their toolbox yeah um part of that is i mean a good chunk of that obviously is because you know the governor has basically assumed responsibility for you know deciding what would be you know what would be opened. You know to mm-hmm. what de- degree in terms of capacity. So I mean, those are those are basically the two tools in their toolbox they can use.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, President Trump and how our local uh, Republican lawmakers have uh, have responded to to his um, his complaints about the presidential election. But first, we're going to take a short break.
3: Head over to expressnews.com to check out our all-new podcast page, where you can find more great San Antonio-focused podcasts, such as Express Briefing, where we bring you the top headlines for the day in about 10 minutes or less.
0: Okay, we're back. And um, Brian, uh, you had a story, I think just before Thanksgiving, where you talked to some Republican lawmakers are attempted to reach out to some Republican lawmakers, and you know, with it, with the context being that um, we're now nearly a month past the presidential election, and uh, President Trump not only has refused to concede, but is continuing to claim that the election was stolen from him. And, you know, Joe Biden. Won the popular vote by more than six million votes and counting, he won the 306 electoral votes, which is the same number Donald Trump won in 2016 when he claimed a landslide. Uh, but President Trump has claimed that uh, that the election was stolen from him, and and uh, you know he's been fighting all these legal battles, and which have have uh, failed. Uh, the, I mean the 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 various arguments that he that he has made and that that his uh, lawyers have made uh, have have pretty much all been shot down. I mean that includes the fact that they've. Alleged that their poll watchers were not allowed in, uh, you know, at uh, election centers, which was not true. They've claimed that uh, thousands and thousands of dead people voted. Um, that has been looked into and debunked. Um, they have uh, just raised all kinds of arguments about, uh, you know, th- th- fraud in in various states. I think they they that in Detroit you had more people voting than were registered yeah. to vote, which. Uh, was not in anywhere close to being true, and and what's often happened in, with these cases in in various states has been that um, they have alleged fraud publicly, the, the the lawyers or or President Trump, but then when they get in the courtroom and they have to to address a judge, they've kind of backed away from that and said, no, well we're just looking at human error and that kind of thing. But to just yeah.
1: to put a when they have to you, tell the truth, actually, yeah, when, they have, yeah,
0: when there's actually some <laughs> kind of obligation to be honest, you know, <laughs> uh, which is that yeah. pesky obligation, to, but you know, just to kind of put in perspective. Um, you know the president uh, the election of 2016 was basically decided by three states michigan wisconsin pennsylvania that uh uh president trump won by i think if you combine the numbers there i think it was uh, about 78,000 votes something like that for him to flip this election he would have to flip uh three states which are uh, pennsylvania georgia and arizona and he he would have to basically uh, flip 105,000 votes so, to be able to do that in three states, uh, this was a pretty much uh, an impossible legal fight to begin with, and they never were really able to, to prove fraud. And so, this is my long-winded way of kind of prefacing, the, you know, the question I had for you, Brian. You know, it, it would seem a natural thing; uh, it's an obvious thing that this election. Uh, was was you know basically conducted smoothly with with the, the the normal human error and some some technical glitches that you're going to have when 150 some million people vote in more than 3,100 counties across the country, but Republicans uh, for the most part have been really unwilling to to come out and say that, and so you you reached out to members of Congress and uh, or and and in one case Tony Gonzalez who has been elected to Congress as well as uh, you know state lawmakers what did you find when you talked to them or tried to talk to them
2: right so so my goal was to try to talk to everyone who won in this past cycle all all right. the republicans right. who won um you know on on the ballot here in bear county and none of them wanted to talk about trump's claims which <clears throat> At that point, I thought were pretty pathological, and, and and of course he he's Trump is still on this uh, yep. you know insisting on widespread fraud. Uh, but but the, this story, which ran a couple weekends ago, I think um, you know I reached out to I got a couple people on the phone. I got uh, U.S. Rep. Chip Roy, um, who uh, his district, of course, uh, stretches from here to Austin. Um, but he, he didn't want to talk about it. The only reason he picked up the phone was he thought I was someone else. And he, he told me to reach out to his communications team. He, he
0: had to go. And he uh, said, like, yeah, I, he said like, I've got a role or something like that.
2: I've got a role. Yeah. <laughs> um, I talked to, I mean, I didn't talk to but I, I tried to reach Trish DeBerry, who of course ran as a Republican and, and one as a Republican, um, on a commissioner's court. Um, I, I, I reached out to Tony Gonzalez, uh, who declined to comment, uh, hmm. Gonzalez, who uh, defeated his Democratic opponent in uh, congressional district twenty-three, mm-hmm. uh, state Rep. Steve Allison didn't call me back. Uh, state Rep. Lyle Larson didn't call me back. Um, it, it, luckily, uh, Senator John Cornyn, who who uh, uh, won this past cycle, he he had a, a scheduled call with reporters mm-hmm. on the day that I was trying to put the story together, and of course, that was that was this was the only question that any reporter yep. wanted to know sure on this call was, did he consider Joe Biden, the president elect? And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Cornyn spent the first five, 10 minutes of the call uh, touting his own victory um, <laughs> in, in the race. And then when, when Biden came up, he, he refused to acknowledge that, that uh, Biden was president elect. He said, he's not president elect until the votes are certified.
0: Yeah. This um, is, this is, a um, um, and, a. Uh, this has been really a, a, a major annoyance for me, just in observing this election. When you have had, um, when the all the media outlets called um, the election for for uh, Joe Biden, you had a, a Republican response, which was the, the media doesn't get to decide, and 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 it was basically exploiting the fact that a lot of people in this country, you know, don't dislike the the, the press. So they're saying the media doesn't get to decide, but as we all know, and John Cornyn was one of these people. Republicans immediately uh, declared Donald Trump president-elect in 2016, the day after the election. When all the news outlets called called the race for for Donald Trump, it, those those results had not you know, yet been certified at all. But they were calling him president-elect because you know, it had been called. Yeah,
2: it's also interesting that one of the arguments that I've heard from the right. Is that uh, the Democrats didn't accept Trump's victory, um, and I think I think what they're referring to is the resistance. Uh, you know, folks who just that's you right. know you, you saw this this movement spring up very quickly after Trump won. But I think that's that's kind of apples and oranges because I mean, for one thing, Hillary Clinton did concede, right, and uh, Obama uh, gra- grace graciously allowed the transition to uh, move forward. So uh, it doesn't seem like that's That's a really apt comparison.
0: Yeah. I mean, Obama actually had Trump at the White House two days after the election and uh, Trump himself in his inaugural address thanked the Obamas for all their help and said they had been, the word he used was magnificent in helping the transition. Uh, Joe Biden had, who was then vice president, had Mike Pence over um, during that period. Uh, Michelle Obama invited uh, Melania Trump. So yeah, yeah, as you're saying, it's apples and oranges. There were protests um, in the streets after Trump's victory where people who were uh, angry about the result results but there was not a a movement to um to, to claim fraud or to have the results thrown out um and you know I, I think Tony Gonzalez met with the editorial board this past week and he um I think tried to justify Trump's behavior by saying that you know Al Gore challenged the results in 2000 um of course that was an election in which it, the election came down to a few hundred votes in one state Florida and there were perceived irregularities, and, and there actually were irregularities in the sense that thousands of people voted uh, for Pat Buchanan by mistake because they were confused by a, a, a particular ballot. And Pat yeah. Buchanan himself later said those were really Al Gore's votes. But you know, there wasn't fraud, but there was
2: and, and,
1: there was and, there, were,
0: there were irregularities. And
2: let's not elide the fact that, you know, after after it became clear to Trump that his legal battles were falling flat, he, he took up a, an influence campaign where he was pressuring, a pressure campaign where he was pressuring, uh, you know, these uh, low-level bureaucrats on these canvas boards in, in yep. Michigan, for example, and sure. trying to convince state lawmakers to uh, overturn the will of the voters. Uh, so, uh, it, it was it was extremely corrosive it's been extremely corrosive and and disturbing to a lot of people but, what the president Yeah
1: but i mean at least you saw i mean with with the georgia secretary of state you know with the you know vote certification officials in michigan i mean they actually withstood the pressure and i think that's, that's admirable right. i think that, that was you know it's like there you know that it, it was nice to see some integrity uh come out of this and it's too bad that you didn't see it at the the upper levels of the party you see it down below at the state and local level uh officials actually doing their duty i thought that was that was a really heartening thing to see i think
3: one one thing that that you know strikes me and i think should not go unmentioned is uh you know particularly in bear county uh you know all these republicans um who are who are uh, not wanting to talk to you, Brian, and, and are not, uh, or who are hedging on this, uh, they have won their races and they appeared to be, to have garnered, you know, to have outperformed Trump in, uh, in Bear County. I mean, you look at Cornyn, you know, he's, he's got about 11,000 more votes than, than Trump did. Uh, you have, uh, Steve Allison, um, Outperformed Trump in in his district.
2: Yeah, but, um, but Josh, you're but, forgetting. But,
3: you're, you're, but I mean, the what you're seeing is kind of like the the fear that that Trump is going to be an influencer, you know, going forward.
2: Right. I was going to yeah. say that the ghost of Hugo Chavez only flipped Trump's votes.
0: So
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, and you know the thing is that uh, you know people and people was, have have wondered, well, why why would Republicans be afraid of Trump? He's clearly on his way out of office. Um, his political future is pretty uncertain, but he still is, is a public uh, force. He has the loyal support of not Fox News, um, or at least the the primetime uh, hosts on Fox News. And so, um, and you know, a lot of the base is really loyal to him and they turn on uh, Republican elected officials who cross him. So I think that there's just a fear, not necessarily of Trump himself, Mm-hmm. But just um just the sort of infrastructure uh, that's been built around the Republican party that is tends to to support him. and and if you if you cross him, you kind of get identified as as a rhino. and uh, th- that that brings me to the point that the one re- local Republican that I'm aware of who has spoken out on this issue against, what what trump has done is will heard and he's because he didn't have he didn't have to run again he decided not to seek another term and i think he got identified um you know fairly or not by a lot of republicans uh in texas as a rhino because he disagreed with donald trump and was public about it on, on some issues and so um he had less to lose all the way around on this you know and so i think that's that's he came out like the day after the election and said you know this is you know, questioning the validity of, of the election process is. Yeah. Know, yeah. And, is, is and in my story,
2: I, I actually reached, I did reach Kevin Wolf who um, spoke right. to me very candidly because obviously he's not running. He did not run for reelection. And so he's, you know, he, he doesn't have anything to lose. And you know he was pre- in in Kevin Wolf's usual way. He was pretty blunt. He said, "This is a one of two things, or a combination of both. It's number one is Trump's being a sore loser, and number two, he's scared of criminal prosecution after he leaves office."
0: So right. Yep, I think I think that's that's very true. I, I mean, the one positive has been uh, aside from the fact that you know some. Uh, Republicans at the, at the state levels uh, and local levels have, have stepped up in, as you mentioned, uh, Greg, with Georgia, the secretary of state there. Um, aside from that, I think the one positive is that the general services administration, uh, you know, a week ago did decide to finally um, sort of allow Biden access to, to resources, of the federal government. And so the, the transition has moved forward, but you still have a president basically saying this, the election was a sham. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to change at any point, but, um, so we're going to wrap things up there and, uh, hope everybody's doing well. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care.